Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, Go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast two great gifts. One is a free free pair of deer skin work gloves, which Sean probably could have used that last week when he's on his boat giving more rope to the jib. And he was he was uh that way to get rope burns and stuff on his hands. <laughs> That'd have been see, great. I got, I got see I got all these blisters and cuts and yeah. you know, see this right here? See it? Yep. See it? See? You could have got, oh man, you probably had to go to the doctor for that one. I was ready to stitch myself up, you know. <laughs> Put a little gunpowder on there, flash it, <laughs> you're right back in the game. <laughs> Nothing in the keys moves quickly. Everything is just going to yeah. happen when it does. So that's, that's, that's a good place to go to unwind. It Someday is. I'll get there. Check it out. Yeah, there's there's not so a lot of worry. There's, there's not there's not a lot of worry in the, in the keys. I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a uh, so if you want those deerskin gloves, send an email to marketing at axontire.com. And the second gift is if you are interested in coming to Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If interested in doing that, um, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast dot com and mention Axon. And you will get fifty dollars off your registration fee. So take advantage of all those good things from the good folks over at Axon Tire. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past thirty-three years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at AgDirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optional pricing insights. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how your customer 
how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing really good, Casey. Really, really good. Glad to be back for my uh, anniversary trip. It was 26 years. Hey, there you go. And nice. uh, I'm back. I'm heading to New York, heading to New York tomorrow for uh, a big speaker conference over to Iowa for Market to Market. And I'll be back home on, on Saturday. So fun, 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 fun. Right back, going back right into the fire. So There you go. Jumping out of the out of the old skillet into the fire, right? That's how <laughs> how it goes there, right? <clears throat> yeah. Out of voice. Out of voice. So Sean, there's been a it's been a kind of a, a crazy week. You know, obviously this inflation thing that we see happening and interest rates and all these kind of things all have the market just kind of all over the place. One day they're they're just hinging on every little piece of news that comes out. Um, Putin's stepping up what's going on over in uh, Ukraine and Russia. He's really putting the hammer down. Ukraine uh, has done some damage to the Black Sea fleet over there. So that might open up some more shipping lanes and grains and those kind of things um, out of the Black Sea region. So, Sean, all that stuff's happening, man. There's a million things going on. What's, to put a tight little bow on that, what's your, what's your overall thoughts of what's happening right now in the world? Really look at, you know, we, we always talk about the concept of, um, the market has a hard time trading the same news story forever, meaning at some point right. they just are done. And so we, when we first had this in February, oh my gosh, it was panic week to 14. And every time we get another one of these geopolitical uh, surges of Russia, Ukraine, the impact is less and less and less and less. And so I just think unless there's something in Russia, Ukraine, that's so different, or the market feels we've moved into a, a you know a, a different trajectory than what we've been in. I think you're going to have these short-term rallies, like you see, you know, coming in on Sunday night and Monday, where wheat's up forty or fifty. But I, I think I just don't think there's going to be legs to really chase, you know, that more than for a couple of days. We're going to need something more that or something different to come out. And so I just think if yeah. I'm a producer, if I'm a producer of wheat, corn, soybeans, and I get these geopolitical surges, if every single one of them has uh, not lasted and they've led to move back down some price. And so I just think you have to be looking opportunistically to cast sell those. Because on the other side of the equation, everyone's looking at the bullish side of what Ukraine and Russia and lack of supply, maybe coming out of Ukraine. But then we have the situation with China, you know, whether they go to Taiwan or not, but they also just might retaliate against us through maybe initiating another trade war. I mean, we, the U.S. just um, embargoed selling these high-end computer chips to the Chinese um, that they absolutely have to have in order to run their technology industry develop their uh, military arsenal, and they can't make it themselves. And so, you know, we just did that in early uh, to mid-October here. And I just think now that Z has come out with ruler forever, I think they're going to do something. Will that go with means going to Taiwan or just, you know, developing some kind of a tra trade war an uh, an environment? Uh, we went through that, Casey, and a trade war is not good for U.S. prices, at least in the short run, meaning if we get into a situation where, let's say, they prevent uh, exports of these uh, 
metals that we utilize in developing our arsenal for military. You know, these rare earth metals, they call them, where they're the 90, you know, they produce like 80 or 90% of them. If they halt those exports to us, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to retaliate where we think it hurts the most for them, which is let's stop selling them corn. Let's stop selling them soybeans. You know, let's stop selling them pork. I, I can see this happening. Um, and I think Z is going to be emboldened. It's going to come out fighting. And I just worry that no one's really, they're talking about it, but they're not really, under, you know, there's two sides to the geopolitical map here. And I worry that that could happen at any moment. All of a sudden we're limited down in grains because we're worried about all, you know, all the exports halting for a while. So I really think right now in this environment, Casey, um, so long as weather is, you know, not really a driving issue bullishly, I think you have to sell these uh, geopolitical surges that you get if you're a producer, you know, I just think that's the strategy. If something happens that this Russia thing really does escalate and they're putting ships in the way and not letting any grain go out, then you have to, you know, take another look. But I just think you have to look at all the risks and say, do I want to let, you know, $7 corn go away? Do I want to let these prices, which are good, go away? And I don't think you should. I think this is a time to continue to bring money home on the farm, especially when geopolitics gives us uh, a spike trade like we've seen. So, Good news, Sean. That was a good way to start off the podcast there, bud. They have. <laughs> but I agree with 100%. Man, there's G has gotten us said a lot more things right now uh, since he's become, you know, president for life or whatever they, whatever they moniker they throw on him over there. Um, he's become a lot more emboldened in the speeches that he's given, his rhetoric that he's putting out there. And, you know, he's even said a couple of times to, to Taiwan, you know, he's like, you saw it happen in Afghanistan. You think it's going to be any different for you here? And so he, he's gotten a lot more emboldened and there's going to be something that comes from that. And what that looks like, like you said, Chinese have a history of playing the slow game more than they play the, the fast kinetic game. And it, like you said, it could be something as simple as just cutting off those, those few aspects to, to really start that, that whole trade war thing back up again. And that's, that's a big problem to worry about something, something. Yeah, like really yeah. yeah, I'm saying it really is a huge downside risk factor that, you know, I don't think the market's really internalizing what that could mean and how quickly you could yeah. crash prices, at least in the short run. Um, I just think you have to have a bird in the hand. Uh, keep two in the bush, but have a bird in the hand right now, because overall, you know, that's too big of a risk to take. And if as we're moving towards more of an El Nino pattern for 23, you know, the odds strongly favor better weather patterns for South America and North America, you know, we're expecting a very short winter this year uh, and early. We're expecting a very early spring, early start to the planting season, Casey, totally opposite of what we were saying a year ago. If we recall, you know, last year it was exactly the opposite. Late ending winter, all kinds of problems. We think we'll get, we could get off to one of the best planting seasons, you know, in decades. Um, and I'm just not sure how that, you know, that, that, that's going to, and as long as we get, you know, any kind of decent moisture, which we should get from an El Nino developing, you know, we're going to have for the first time in about three or four years, we're going to be setting the conditions for a record crop. And I just, and that's not that far away, Casey, it's not that far away. So I just think the, you know, two years ago in 2020, 
all the big risks to us or to upside price risk. That's how you needed to gear your cash marketing plan, storage plan. I, everything I see now is gearing towards downside price risks. You need to be taking the money home um, and, and making sure you, you protect that income. Um, and if you're a livestock producer, you know, obviously you always have to buy feed and, you know, but hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. I don't think this is a time to be, you know, buying two years worth of feed. I think this is a time to be very patient, buy what you have to, if you haven't bought enough ahead and wait for the right opportunity in the spring, summer to get really good economic prices again. And then, and then go out on the curve and, and do something smart by going out a year or two on your feed. I just think we're, you know, the cycles is flipped from, from where we were a few years back. So, right. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure this is a short term thing here, but if you, if you read the articles about Brazil and the protests are having there around the presidential election, we have a new president coming in, uh, Luis, I'm not even going to try to say his name, but new guy coming in, uh, very, uh, I think described as a, as a leftist leaning type, uh, of a president and the guy coming in, uh, also or leaving, uh, I'm not going to say his name either. But anyway, the guys there, both those guys are, he hasn't conceded yet. Truckers are blocking the highway going into Mato Grosso and, and it's just a whole mess down there too. So that, that, that adds another layer of, of, of just political, uh, geopolitical stuff on top of this, this uh, vast craziness we see happening out there now. So if something does continue with that um, and that does become a, a bigger issue and, and we start seeing some, bigger thing like a like a Canadian trucker march type thing in Brazil, which will be a totally different thing than what we saw in Canada. But I guess what's your thoughts there on that? I mean how starting talking about logi- not that logistics are that good in Brazil anyway, and you start throwing something like this in the mix. How's that start playing into that? It definitely needs to be watched. Um you know they're as divided as we are, Casey. I mean um you know a- extremely divided country and and extremely 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 bipolar on both sides. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was a close vote, but, it, but, you know, if you, if the numbers are right, you know, Lula won fairly comfortably, you know, it wasn't like it was a 0.01, you know, I mean, he won by, you know, right. percent and a half, 2%, something like that, which is fairly comfortable. Um, he was president recall from 2002, president Lula right. was there 2002 mm-hmm. to 2010. Um, Bolsonaro was coming for the last, uh, eight years. Um, if, you know, a lot of times, you know, you get these initial uh, protests and skirmishes and, and then they kind of fade away. That's what usually happens. If it becomes something where they really start shutting the country down, you know, or they blockade things and they don't let exports go out for grains or for coffee or for sugar or for all the you know things, you know, obviously that would be something you'd have to, at least it would be a short, I mean, doesn't mean eventually the supplies don't get out. It just means it would be delayed and then you could get a short-term reaction to it, obviously way too early to make, you know, to make that leap of faith, but it's definitely something to monitor right. to see if it, if it, if it fades or if it really actually accelerates, I think Bolsonaro is, is expected to speak today. Um, sometime I, I, I don't have to look at when um, that might be an important speech in terms of, does he fan the flame, um, you know, or, or does he say, look, it's all good. You know, Peace be with you. You know, I don't know what he's going to say or how cantankerous he's going to be or not, but that might be a lot. That might go a long way with determining whether this could be a short-term geopolitical escalation impacting prices or not. 
right now, obviously it's something to monitor, but not something to, you know, uh, pay too much, uh, heat and, you know, credence to just yet. So. Right. Yep. If you look at, that could be, that's just, if you fans of the flames there, that could just be a, a bigger issue just because of the well, limited logistics they have to start with. Well, I do know that the farming community, um, is extremely <laughs> pro Bolsonaro. You know, they did not like uh, mm-hmm. when Lula was there, uh, his act policies, the way he handled funding and, you know, the overall agricultural policy. I know that they are extremely um, negative on Lula and extremely positive on Bolsonaro. So, <laughs> you know, um, we'll have to see how uh, how far they want to take it. But but I do know that the ag sector is extremely upset with this and, um, you know, could be capable of creating a, a unified front if they really, uh, you know, wanted to here. So. Yep. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with cotton. Cotton has had a huge, compared to where it was at, you know, this time, you know, three months ago when we saw, four months ago where we saw $1.50 cotton, you know, it's down. Um, down into the to the eighties now, I guess. So when you look at what's going on with with cotton, <clears throat> what are your thoughts there? And we we talked about this. You talked about yeah, we see this big spike up, but fundamentals really aren't there to keep that price of that cotton up. And when China came in and bought all that um, cotton out of nowhere, that's really what spiked that up. And now that that's gone, where are we at with cotton? Well, the U.S. primarily the U.S. price is driven by Chinese buying of U.S. cotton. I mean, that's who we sell our cotton to. Yeah, there's a few other people, but I mean, they dominate. When we were at $1.20, I think I mentioned on your show that we were trading at a premium to the Chinese cotton price and that there's no example of the price remaining there uh, because we would just simply lose the business and the price, no matter how tight the market is, the more prices had to come down. And that's what happened. Um, And I think we had mentioned either in that podcast or one since then, that uh, you know, we probably would need to come into the low mid seventies in order to get the price relationship more attractive again, to where they would be. It would be in their economic best interest to buy U.S. cotton again because it'd be cheaper and they could bring it in and mix it in with their. And we are now there. We're in the low seventy cents. We are now trading at a discount, and I do believe that Chinese demand is going to pick up. Not because they're seeing massive crazy demand for you know, for end user, but other than it's just because it's, it makes economic sense to buy cheaper U.S. cotton. And so I think that's going to put a floor in here on this U.S. cotton price in the low 70s. So if I was a buyer of cash cotton, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, a mill, you know, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm need to buy a lot of physical cotton, I think this low 70 cent area, Casey, is a good level to get some coverage for yourself and lock this in. I just don't see the Chinese price falling any more than it has. And I, and I think that this relationship now is really setting up for increased exports um, and a better outlook for uh, that and, and, and potentially a rally, you know, potentially a, a bounce off of this level to maybe get prices back into the middle. Because no matter how you cut it, there's not a lot of cotton supply in the world because the U.S. had a horrible crop. We know that uh, uh, Pakistan had another, had also had a horrible crop. And we know that India had a, so-so crop. So when you put it all together, if you bring Chinese demand back in for U.S. cotton, we very quickly run that balance sheet too tight again. So I, I kind of feel for the first time in months, I'm actually feeling a little friendly here 
to the cotton market and think cash buyers need to be picking up the pace here on cotton. So right on. Okay, there you go. All right. One more thing kind of on the wheat thing we've talked about. Well, two things. Well, got two things here. One is right now the uh fall hard runner, hard red winter wheat is um at an all-time low when it comes to just overall rating that we see right now. No surprise there. It's been been dry and, and conditions for planting have been less than favorable to be to be kind. I guess looking at that, Sean, how is that playing into this week picture that we see right now? I think the market, you know, looks at these pre-dormancy crop ratings. And when you try to correlate that to the actual yield uh, after, you know, spring, it has not been a great correlation. Uh, meaning that if you start off good, sometimes you end bad. If you start off bad, sometimes you end good. It really comes down to spring precipitation and spring weather conditions that determines yield. Now, obviously we haven't seen, you know, I think, I think we've been measuring this as 1986. We might've seen crop conditions this bad prior to 86, but since 86, clearly this is the worst rating we've seen thus far. Moisture is coming in Casey um, over the next week, week and a half, it looks like, and that probably is going to help significantly improve those conditions, increase some of that growth before dormancy, um, you know, just in a nick of time. But, but overall, I think the market's going to take the idea that there's just not a lot of correlation between starting conditions in going into dormancy and how it ends up. So I don't think they're going to trade that in the futures market right now. I think what they're going to do is say, okay, it's going in really bad. That's something to pay attention to, but how does it look when it comes out? What kind of weather are we going to have when it comes out? Um, if obviously the weather's poor against a poor conditions going in, then you could have yourself a big problem. We think we're going to have good spring conditions early. We're going to come out of the of dormancy early. We're going to have a warm spring, good some you know decent moisture, some really good conditions that will help rehabilitate some of these conditions. And we also, once again, are, th- are expecting a short winter. Uh, and we're not expecting this to be an Arctic uh, cold winter like we had last year. You get these polar vortex breaking down, get these big. If you really want to get a chance for winter kill, Casey, you really need to get that Arctic air to come down. And right. we think this is going to be more of what we call a polar cold winter, meaning you get the cold air from <clears throat> Canada that comes down. It's cold, but it's not your Arctic frigid, you know, minus 38 degrees. It's, it's cold, but it's not the kind of cold that typically puts winter kill risk on the table. And so but for those reasons, we just think the risks this year for winter wheat are just not what they were the last couple of years. And so we, we just think that even though we're going in, you know, obviously less than desirable, we just don't think that's going to be a market mover for right now. So. Right on. Okay, man. All right. Finally, let's talk about this last part here. Looking at soybean crush and ethanol uh, crush, if you look at those two things, they're expected to see quite a bit smaller um, amounts of that to happen. Coming off of, you know, six months ago was the most I'd ever done ever, and now we're we're kind of back down to a, I guess what you'd call a normal level for that. Looking at that, Sean, with the price of fuel the way it is, has come down dramatically from what we've seen uh, over the summer. Is that playing a factor into this? And, and do you think that, or is there some other outlying factor there that's driving down this? price or the, the amount of crush that we're seeing right now for ethanol and soybean and uh, biodiesel. 
You know, I mean, it comes down to the crush margin. If it's profitable, they're going to, you know, they're going to rip the plants as much as they can. If it's not profitable, they're going to, you know, the <clears throat> ethanol plants, I mean, they're all the same, you know, it's a profit motive. Um, you know, and, and so the, so the, the, the billion, the trillion, I guess in this world we live in, the trillion dollar question is what happens after the elections to the SPR dumping? Do we stop dumping strategic petroleum reserve? I think we will. I can't say exactly when. I'm not sure exactly how that looks, but I think that we're going to. And unless the U.S. government is willing to halt exports of diesel and other things, um, I would think that we're going to be looking for you know some kind of a price readjustment higher in a post non-SPR dumping world, and that should be pretty friendly to the ethanol markets globally, and it should be pretty friendly to the biodiesel markets globally, renewable diesel globally, bean oil, vegetable oil. We know we've had extreme flooding in Indonesia, the number one producer of palm oil, which is one of the vegetable oils that's used not only for human consumption, but also for biodiesel. We look at the <clears throat> Inflation Reduction Act that was approved here just a little while ago, and you look at the money that was put forth to promote biodiesel, renewable diesel, ethanol, some serious, serious dollars being put into uh, making uh, large investments in increasing the demand and increasing the production of those, of like you know, of those two items. So, so overall, I, I think that we're probably looking at a better profile for renewable energy, Casey, over the next six months for those reasons. And so, if I'm thinking bean oil, if I'm thinking bean crush, if I'm thinking ethanol prices, I kind of think that we're going to see, see a friendlier environment. Um, based upon what we see today. So, right on, Sean. Good stuff as usual, man. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you have going over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website <clears throat> is Hackett, H A C K E T T, advisors.com. We have a lot of information on there about how we do our weather work, how we do our fundamental work, capital flows work, and how we go about you know putting together our longer term uh, price forecast and hopefully. You know, some of that information might be of some value to your listeners. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at Moving Iron uh, Podcast and on the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check me out there and you can see the video version of this podcast right there with it. Um, Moving Iron LLC has everything Moving Iron related, uh, all the blog posts, the entire library of the Moving Iron podcast, as well as all the information for the upcoming Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, 2023. Get information for that there. Um, slowly putting that up there as, as things become available, and uh, we'll go from there. So with that, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. In any case, sorry we missed last week, but we're we're back on track. So. I'll let it slide this time, Sean. Next time. <laughs> Next time. My God. <clears throat> so with so that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Haggett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you 
reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time.